You are listening to the Police Resilience Podcast, a podcast from the International Association of Chiefs of Police and the Department of Psychiatry at Columbia University, where you'll hear from law enforcement leaders sharing wisdom, insight, and perspective. This episode is funded by the U.S. Department of Justice's Bureau of Justice Assistance through the Valor Officer Safety and Wellness Initiative. The department's full disclaimer notice is available at the end of this podcast and in the episode show notes. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the IACP, Columbia University, or BJA. All right. Hello, everyone. This is the Police Resilience Podcast. It was created specifically for law enforcement across the country, across the world. This isn't about fluffy conversations. It's about understanding the science behind real resilience and how we as police make sure we're taking care of ourselves. That's not selfish. It's smart. This podcast is a partnership between the IACP and Columbia Psychiatry, world leaders in policing, world leaders in research. Let's be clear about one more thing. We all have resilience already inside us. Let's now work on enhancing it. And today's episode, I think is, well, I'd like to think all the episodes have been pretty awesome. And I'd like to think we're trying to be consistent with this. And we've got an incredible, an incredible guest with us coming from the old cliche across the pond. It's the wonderful Dr. Yvonne Taylor. And Dr. Taylor, thank you so much for being here with us. I'm going to start it off throwing it to you in a moment, but I just want to give a brief background and please explain a bit more to our audience who you are in the pretty amazing work that you're doing, especially regarding sleep in the police force. And Dr. Taylor is also chief inspector of police. Well over 20 years, I believe you, it's you're nearly at 30 years of service now, and it's pretty vast and you can share all the different things that you've done. But specifically at the moment, she's working for the National Police Wellbeing Service at the UK College of Policing, and she manages numerous ongoing research projects and services aimed at improving sleep and reducing fatigue for our officers and staff within policing. And I'd like to thank our listeners right now that's already drawn them in because the reality it is, there's many people struggling with both sleep and fatigue. And there's also the reality of, we can't get that perfect sleep cycle necessarily. And fatigue doesn't get fixed overnight or at the snap of a finger. So Dr. Taylor, it truly is. It's great having you here. And I've known you for a while now. And it's good that we've been able to get you here because myself and the listeners were ready to learn from you. So I will throw it to you first. Just tell us a bit more about your background, if you don't mind. Sure, will do. Thank you so much for the invite to come and speak with you today. It's really exciting to share what we're doing. So yeah, as you've said, uh, I'm a police officer. I've been, I've been, in, the, in a police officer role for 26 and a half years, working in, in lots of different roles, all uniform services though, so patrol, roads policing, um, I've been staff officer to senior officers, worked in partnership units all over the place in two different police forces in the north of England. At the moment, I am working with National Police Wellbeing Service, as you say, leading on a number of projects related to sleep and fatigue and other specialisms as well, I guess. I wear quite a few different hats. But I came into this role following completion of my PhD studies. And my studies were directly with my colleagues and and really as a result of my own experiences. So I looked at shift work and driver fatigue and the impact on road safety, specifically within policing. So... 
before, so I have about probably 90 questions and I won't get through all of them <laughs> as well. And I guess just thinking, as you said that too, myself having my background and not just policing, having retired now recently from the NYPD and working most recently there in mental health, but also having my doctorate. What motivated you though, specifically to get your doctorate? Because you've got two awesome titles, you're Dr. Taylor, but you're also Chief Inspector Taylor. And what motivated you to get the academic aspect? I guess it was just to delve into things a little bit deeper, just because I had that interest in my own experiences, working shifts, trying to get home after night shifts and speaking with my colleagues. And I'd also looked at or discovered some really sad figures around death in service of of police officers due to uh, road traffic collisions. And that, you know, whilst working as a, a roads policing officer, that's what sparked my interest. I'd, I'd learn all about drink and drug influences. And as part of, I suppose, my investigative toolkit as well, I wanted to widen my knowledge and my experience in terms of those investigations and, and ruling out other aspects of, of some of the causation factors. Well, right. And I think that's really what you just said is sort of like the whole purpose of this podcast and it's on resilience. And it's that idea of what's a key thing of resilience. Personal resilience, too, is among many different things. And it also demonstrates leadership, which you've said and which you are, that idea of curiosity, right? And it sounds like that curiosity led you further down that rabbit hole of understanding. But importantly, getting your doctorate, it sounds it gave you a much deeper understanding of the science behind things. And I'm not knocking academia, but this isn't for you. It wasn't the purpose of being in academia. It was to bring it back to the workforce, the men and women in policing, because this work needs to be grounded in the science. And so when we look at it specifically, and I'd like to try to connect those dots a bit more between the resilience aspect and sleep and what happens with the lack of it. But for our listeners right now, as we dig deeper into this idea of sleep and the work that you've done, if there's a key takeaway or saying, hey, look, this what you're about to say is going to get them to listen to the whole episode, which I hope is going to be the case. So um, if you didn't realize it, Dr. Taylor, this is the pressure on you. Wow, our <laughs> audience about something about sleep. And they're like, all right, I'm going to keep listening. So um, I'd say no pressure, but yes, pressure. <laughs> I think really it's all about balance, isn't it? One thing isn't going to work for everybody, but let's have a look at what's going on in our own lives and what we can maybe do to improve our sleep a little bit, which will in turn potentially help us if we're struggling with mental health and if we're struggling with resilience. Let's just not put too much pressure on ourselves to have that perfect night's sleep, but let's look at the balance and look at where things might be slightly out of kilter and what we can do to to help improve that. Yeah, and I like that it's a reality check too. Let's be realistic yeah. with that work because in the first thing that I thought, and I hope again, as I appeal to our listeners, it's as interactive as you make it and really discerning and thinking about deeply with what Dr. Taylor just said. Imagine if you're the person, Dr. Taylor, and they're thinking, yeah, they're having bad sleep, yet they think there's this perfect way to get sleep, and then they know they're not getting it. It's just compounding things, right? And the yeah. connection between, I don't know, can you tell us a bit more, maybe the connection between so lack of sleep and whether is the relationship to burnout, anxiety, stress, depression, or any of that? I guess um, it's not just about getting enough sleep. It's about getting good quality sleep as well, isn't it? So 
I mean, I don't know. When when I was younger, my mother always used to say to me, everything will seem better in the morning. Once you've had a good night's sleep, you know, your problems don't go away necessarily, but they do diminish because you're refreshed, your batteries are recharged, you're in a better place to think about other issues that are going on in your life. So I guess most people need between maybe seven and nine hours sleep. Not everybody, but that's a good guideline for people. We used to sort of traditionally, I guess, the day, 24 hours used to be split into the eight hours of work, eight hours of sleep, eight hours of leisure. So there I go back again to the balance about, about what's good. And there's all sorts of things that affect our sleep, you know, caring responsibilities, shift work, just general problems with sleep, illness, so many things and so many avenues that can be explored depending on people's individual circumstances and, and what they can consider that may help them. Yeah. And by the way, um, I laughed, but not on mic, as I'm sure. And I say you are, too, as you are a little bit now. I'm sure many of our listeners, how you said um, the, the, how the 24 hour cycle used to be split up. And I, I think we all laugh because we know that we don't get that eight hours of leisure. Yeah, I think absolutely. we'd all like it. But it's that idea, again, of the reality check of getting that sleep and then the repercussions. So like, let's be very clear. It's sleep gives us energy, energy for what to deal with, what we do for a living, but we're also human beings as well. So aside of our police work, you hit something there that I want to emphasize a bit more. And with my work in trying to help officers get better sleep as well, there's a massive difference between quantity and quality of sleep, right? And yeah. before I throw it back to you, that whole seven to nine hours, generally speaking, that's what adults need, seven to yeah. nine hours of sleep. Here's, here's the thing that really um, gets me. A very small few people on this planet can get only a few hours of sleep a night. And when I would give presentations, and I know for you as well, you had to have this experience. Apparently, all those few small percentage of the people on this planet are all the people that I talk to in policing. Because the <laughs> amount of times like, oh, yeah, I only need three hours. I'm like, oh, wow, lucky me that I got to meet another person. It's not realistic. But um, all right, back to you. What's the deal with quantity versus quality? Yeah, there's lots of people that say they don't need it. They're just kidding themselves, yeah. you know, and they're probably storing up problems for the future. It's going to affect them later in life with potential physical or, or mental ill health in terms of that, you know, links to all sorts of cardiovascular diseases, loads of things going on um, in terms of, of shortening sleep. But yeah, it has to be good quality as well. There's no point in being in bed for hours and, you know, your sleep's really, I mean, Sleep is broken. It goes through cycles. Yeah. So it's 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 natural to wake up sometimes through the night. Yes. People By the way, Dr. Taylor, that. I have to jump in and I'm yeah, sure. sorry. It's kind of rude, but I, you know me well enough. I'll do it a <laughs> few more times. I apologize for all the future ones. But that is so critical. And this is where I'll speak for my own knowledge yeah. and my own experiences, because I think as in police, we all struggle with sleep one way or another. And if you don't, God bless you. If you just get good night's sleep, many of us struggle with it. But what you just said there, when I first learned that, that it was normal to wake up, I really thought every time I woke up, what was wrong with me? And then it made it even more stressful to fall back yeah. asleep. So yeah. you pointing that out truly is so critically important for our listeners to know it's normal to wake up a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah, it is because we cycle through the different levels of sleep, don't we? And we have the deeper sleep section. So those cycles are normal. It is normal to wake up 
the problem comes, I guess, when you're laid there awake for ages and you can't get back to sleep. And and that's, you know, that's where the issues are. So, I mean, the, the experts on, on sleep per se will say sort of 20 minutes if you go to bed and you're not falling asleep within 20 minutes or you wake up and it's for more than 20 minutes, get up and go do something, go read, you know, just just don't lie there and get stressed out because it just makes it worse. Mm. Yeah, so, and I know um, we can cover a lot more of the tips because I know we're both about the tips that are, you know, practical tips for specifically police that are based on science and the data. Well, one of the things that I think too is to point out when we connect it to resilience and I guess more so the personal resilience, it's reminding yourself you're doing these various tips that we're sharing that you're making those choices to do it. And, you know, it goes back to resilience is controlling what you can. And if you're having trouble sleeping, saying I'm doing X, I'm doing Y, or I'm doing whatever to help me with the sleep. And that helps counter that anxiety of stress of not being able to fall asleep. And it's like you said, I still find it pretty bizarre and weird to tell myself, get up. But then I'll say it's science backed. If mm. it's been too long, just get up or you know, just a basic thing, too, that I always think of is sitting there, literally ask myself, is this helpful to be thinking this if I'm trying to sleep right now or mm -hmm. is it making it harder? Yeah. What about can we just segue to a different moment? Like just as far as can we with some of the research, the data, actually tell us a bit about where you're working right now, because I realized we didn't do that yet. And okay. I think that's truly unique, especially for the American counterparts listening what it is your organization is, because I said in the intro and the national well-being, what a college of policing, what is that? Um, if you can just give us an overview and why it's pretty amazing. Sure. So um, National Police Wellbeing Service, yes, sits with the College of Policing. But in National Police Wellbeing, we look at all sorts of things that affect policing, really, I guess. We do an annual survey, or uh, which goes out to all police officers across England and Wales, and we respond directly to the results of those surveys and that is kind of where the sleep and fatigue work has come from you know it followed on from from my own PhD but the results of those surveys showed that there was high percentages of police officers I think when we first started it was about 45 percent of police officers getting less than six hours sleep there was high reports of officers and staff reporting symptoms of post-traumatic stress so those kind of things we directly react to and we will look for the best available evidence, the best research that's out there. If it's not out there specifically for policing, then we will commission research as well. And then we can you know, follow up with recommendations and such like on the back of that research. And we're a fairly small team, but we, you know, we we get stuck in and, and we work across across England and Wales in, in the main, but we do share a lot of work. Um, with other organisations and, and across the world too. The College of Policing is, again, a, it's a professional body for everyone that works within policing. They look at sort of all the authorised professional practice or best guidance for policing, connect with everybody in police and law enforcement to help understand the challenges that are going on they use the sort of evidence-based knowledge uh, as well to, de to develop all the, all the work and all the projects that they do. And it's just all about giving a voice to professionalism in policing and, and making sure that we have those standards and 
officers and staff are skilled in, in what they do and have the capability to do the role efficiently. Yeah, thank you for explaining all that. Let's dig in now, explore more of the idea with the the survey and the data that you collected and how you found out. You said there was a percentage of officers saying they get less than six hours. So right, step one, collect the data. Step two, analyze the data. And then I say very importantly, step three, needing those first two steps, but then step three, what are we doing and how Mm -hmm. are we helping the workforce? So I was wondering, can you share um, a bit more on that step three? Because again, resilience there's two aspects to resilience. There's personal resilience, but also what is the agency doing as far as yeah. resilience for the workforce? So if we can start from that higher level, then what did you guys roll out to support them to get better sleep? Sure, yeah. It's a partnership, isn't it? Everyone has some responsibility to build that resilience, to make things better. So the employee and the employer, we're all in it together. So um, some of the things that we do, we work with a number of different experts in the field. We've worked with the University of Surrey in England to look at sleep disorders and specifically sort of use those validated questionnaires that are already available to to kind of screen uh, officers and staff for different sleep disorders. If it showed that they were at risk of a disorder, then the system would automatically generate uh, a letter for them to take to the GP for further investigation. So that was one study that we've done, and we're hoping that we will get that embedded into our own website so that officers and staff can access it on an ongoing basis. Another study that we've done with some experts with Lois and Steve James at Washington State University, we've looked at fatigue risk management in a way that, you know, sort of pre and post test investigation around training and kind of a short sort of simple training input of about an hour or an hour and a half, improve sleep quality, quantity, and we've had some brilliant results with with that as well. So we did a pilot study and we're now doing a randomised control trial in that to to really sort of nail down if that can work for us. And if it does, then that's something else that can be rolled out across the country in terms of, you know, look, guys, this is a really brief intervention that could be given on a briefing or in a training day. And it, it should really help if officers can put some of this into practice. And that's all around some of the sleep health. Um, what, what was the intervention or what was it that you were sharing with them or was it a workshop or it was um, something that was pre-recorded Lois James has pre you know pre-recorded it for us and it's 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 herself okay. um, discussing sleep health and providing a, a presentation and a little bit of the science behind it and then some of the, the practical things practical tips that officers and staff can put into practice so let's um exactly let's talk about this a bit more some of these practical tips and I guess uh, if you're listening, you got your pen and paper, maybe you want to write some of this down or just replay it a couple of times. I don't know. But so here's some evidence-based practical tips. I'll throw some out at you and I'd love to get your take on what some of them are. There's one that I've learned and I know we've discussed it in the past, but the the terminology that I've heard uh, before, there's such thing as the, um, the myth and reality of banking sleep and sleep debt. And yet again, I had to learn all this stuff first and foremost for myself. You can't bank sleep, right? So you can't go your five days or whatever it is, getting one, two, no hours of sleep. And then you think on that finally, that day off that you have, you're going to catch up, quote unquote, catch up on sleep and sleep 14 hours. Um, What's your take on that, Dr. Taylor? Yeah, it's not good. 
it, it doesn't work and it's really not healthy, you know, to scrimp on sleep and then and then try and bank it at the weekend. So, yeah, a, a lot of us probably do sleep slightly longer at the weekend. But those regular bedtime and wake up time in the main, you know, as much as we can. Yeah, we all like to have a late night now and again. But in the main, that is healthiest for us. You can catch up a tiny bit maybe, but you're really not going to catch up on all the sleep that you've lost. You're not going to make up for all that lost time. Yeah. So I think it's more of like you just said, it's that middle road, right? Not extremes from one to the other. So trying to be as close to the seven to nine while you're actually working and being realistic. Sometimes there's those days where you won't, it just can't be every day, but then also on those days off, not, oh, that, that was the other word that I've heard use you not, and it sounds silly, but think not binge sleeping. And I remember reading one study where it talked about binge sleeping. Like if you try to catch up on the weekend or whatever it is, and you get that 14 hours of sleep or something, People have said, like some studies have shown that's the same as almost like feeling jet lag. Yeah. And it's just there's so much we don't know out there. So I think it, it, that, that's one of the really important ones, because I've heard cops say that. Oh, yeah, I get no sleep. But don't worry. Don't worry, Jeff. I'll mm-hmm. I catch up on the weekend. And so, like, there's a little bit of truth. It sounds like what you said to that, but not doing it to the extreme. Yeah, not to the extreme. You you might do, you know, you might you might sleep half an hour or or a little bit extra at the weekends when you're not programmed, your alarm's not going off for work or whatever. But, it, you know, generally it's best to sort of try and keep to the to the same routines and then it avoids you kind of storing up problems for, for the future. Yeah. And by the way, so I wrote a note while you were saying something earlier too, where in I don't know, the wording of it not like lack of sleep or sleep issue or having trouble with sleeping often isn't that can be it's a symptom of something else. Right. And I know there are actual sleep disorders, but like if you go through a list of, you know, anxiety, depression, even thoughts of suicide. One of the things that you look out for, like with our work, too, is when we're trying to help a brother or sister, it's asking them, well, how is your sleep? I don't know. Like where's um, the connection to that? Can you help clarify that for our listeners? There's a lot of, I guess, mental health or psychiatrists that will say they don't come across a patient for a mental health issue that doesn't have a problem with sleep. So there's a massive link there, isn't there? It just... Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's a bit self-perpetuating. If you're lacking in sleep, you can have mental health problems or if you, you know, mental health problems, it affects your sleep. And it just, it's a bit cyclical, I think. Yeah. And this is where, again, I can't help but think the first thing that comes to my mind is now more on the personal resilience side. And you said before how it's it's both agency, but also what are you doing? And this is where I try to make it clear in every episode. We're all strong people. We all have resilience in us. Let's make sure we're clear about that. But also when it comes to the sleep issues, it really can drive you mad. And then it's like, well, what came first, chicken or the egg? Okay, what does it matter? It's that idea. You don't need to figure it out on your own. But also, it's when when I talk about go speak to somebody, don't just speak to a random person, speak to an expert on it. And I know you guys are really, really good with bringing in your experts to share evidence based, but also practical tips. A question. So how about some I just wrote down a few other things that we've come across with your work and others, some just practical examples and from your speakers. One of the here's an important one, I think, and I'd love to get you 
have a routine, a, a sleep routine or sleep ritual. And I tried to say this as PG as possible, but it truly is really serious. Your, your bedroom and bedtime should really be only for two things. Yeah. Um, the adult activity part, which is not this episode, or sleeping. Yeah. And the, the really seriousness behind that is don't be doing other things in bed, like yeah. um, watching TV, playing on your phone, I mean, other stuff like that, because it's, it is the mental, physical connection, right? And it's getting your body ready, have that sleep routine so your body starts to know it's time for bed. So then when you go into bed, it's your body and your mind knowing now I'm trying to get ready for sleep. And yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that's true. It's it's definitely true. Bed is for sleep and sex and that's it. No TVs, <laughs> no phone. We all do it. We're all guilty of looking at phones, of watching TV. But that's it. That should be it to create that proper environment, you know? Yes. Thank you for the clear. And by the way, so here it is. I love doing this podcast. I also, though, have no problem admitting I don't always practice what I preach. And this is where a reality tip that I try to do. I look at my phone way much more than I should yeah. right before I go to bed while I'm trying to go to bed. But here's something that I just try to do simple to help me nudge away from that. I turn my phone over at least. And I know many of us, and I know the leadership listening to this, we need our phones next to us in case we get called at any point because we're on call 24-7. So at least I turn it over because you have to take the work call, but it's the non-work stuff related instead of playing on your phone. In yeah. um, here, oh, by the way, that the reason I do that, and I don't know if you, if you agree or uh, the whole idea of how you normalized waking up a few times during the night, here's the thing that would get me, and I know there's others too, is what happens that, and this is the bad way. So if you were taking notes, don't write this part down. You wake up in the middle of the night, and what's the first thing many of us do? You'd click your phone to see what what time is it. And then all of a sudden, we become math experts. And what do I mean by that? We start doing crazy math um, problems. Well, it's 2.14 a.m. I have to get up at 5.47, so that gives me exit. I can't even do the math right now. That just stresses me, at least. So here's the thing I try. Turn the phone over. I wake up. Now I say it's normal to wake up. Now try to go back to sleep. Don't you dare click the time. Uh, I don't know. Any Are there any other thoughts or tips that pop into your mind? There's lots of simple things, isn't there? Such as to help create the right environment. Get some blackout blinds. Make sure your bed's comfortable. Avoid those electronic devices where you can. We're all guilty of it. Yeah, we, we all have to practice what we preach. We all do it. If you're really struggling, try some relaxation techniques. You know, there's lots of stuff out there that, that you can try. Cut down on alcohol and caffeine and eating too late in the day. Lots of things like that. Plus, in, in daylight hours as well, get out there, go for a walk, get some sunshine or some daylight in your face. It's all good for you. And it all helps with that releasing of the correct hormones at the correct time and helping you. Your daytime routine helps you with your nighttime routine too. Yeah. And again, let's emphasize that again, because I think most many people don't realize what you do during the day can help you sleep at night and yeah. getting things like outdoor activities and sunlight in 
and here's again, somebody, some people, yeah, yeah, obviously, or I'm outside all day. Okay. How about now telling yourself, especially if you're having issues with sleeping, Hey, I'm outside. I'm instead of, for example, instead of running on the treadmill, maybe I'll run outside today and then telling yourself I'm doing that because this will help me sleep at night. And this is where I'm adamant that don't please people. Don't uh, please people. Don't dismiss that. That's the stuff that really helps you create the practices into a habit. And when it comes to sleep, it's pretty significant. You've mentioned a couple of other things too. Like I know people use eye patches or I don't know, people say whatever you call it, the, the eye things that cover your eyes to help yeah. you sleep at night. Um, weighted blankets, people find helpful. Here's the thing, explore it yourself, but yeah. then let me be adamant, reach out for help and speak to an expert. So and I know we're getting, again, close to the end of the episode, but how about uh, the last few questions I have for you? For the leadership out there, what can they do to help their workforce ensure that they're trying to get as best sleep as they can? They can speak to them, you know. They, they can bring it into normal conversations. It can be part of briefing. It can be part of those conversations that you have with your staff as part of your line management activities. You, t- you talk to them every day, don't you? But you know, if you're doing those sort of one-to-ones with your staff as well, cover that kind of thing as well, because it's maybe something that they won't volunteer. But if they're asked about it, then, you know, you've got that inroad and then they, they might open up and they might speak about what's going on uh, from there. And then they can be pointed in the right direction for some helping, helpful hints and tips or, you know, do they actually need to speak to someone on a professional manner in, in terms of what's going on? Yeah. And I like that, that proactiveness. And again, it's the difference of being a supervisor or a leader and a leader checks in with their workforce and maybe normalize it in the sense of, too, I think of that concept. If if you if you go to a heavy job or a bad job, yeah, normalize. Maybe you didn't sleep well the night before, but then if it becomes consistent or for multiple days, maybe that is when to reach out for help. And importantly, for the leadership, know what the resources are and how to connect them to somewhere and what about for the, for the individuals out there listening, whether regardless of their title or rank, what, what would be a key recommendation you'd have for them as far as what they can do for themselves and not just relying on leadership, but what can they do for themselves? Yeah, I think, um, you know, they can explore what's out there. Yeah, there's resources openly, freely available to have a look for um, what you can try. You know, I, I mentioned the sort of relaxation techniques there's free things like that on the internet now, isn't there, to try things out. So see what you can do that that works for you. The same things won't work for everyone. It's very individual. I guess it's about prioritising sleep as well. It's maybe about having those conversations with your family. Let them know if you're on night shifts and you're going to be asleep and you don't want them knocking on the door or or, or ringing you, you know, on, on the phone. So have those conversations and just sort of prioritize that time and help those around you to help you prioritize that time as well. Yeah, fantastic. And again, some of the things that I got out of that, just things that I've heard, it's not a badge of honor to go around saying you only get one or two hours of sleep. And I think as we've gotten older, we realize it's not sustainable. And it's not just your mental health. You mentioned earlier, it's your physical health. And also it made it one of the things you said too is, Reminds me of the work that a colleague of mine at Columbia, Dr. George Bonanno, and he refers to in resiliency, flexibility, and related to sleep in these sleep tips, one might not work for the other person that works for one, but also one that works for you today might not work tomorrow and having the variety of things to try out and being yeah. fair to yourself, but then also ultimately 
don't rely on yourself, reach out. And it could be just searching something on the internet, but sometimes it's a bit more than that. And that's true strength as well, reaching out to somebody that's more qualified. And that's what we do in policing. Let's make sure we're doing it for ourselves. I guess as we wrap this up and as we're just about out of time, is there anything else that you would just like to share with our audience before we go? I guess it's, you know, it's maybe just going back to some of the things we said at the beginning about not stressing about it too much. We all have the odd bad night's sleep. I've worked shifts for the vast majority of my career. I'm lucky now that I'm working regular days, you know, and I do notice the difference in myself as I was getting older. I struggled more with shift work. So you really need to, like you've said already, you know, reach out, have a look at what's out there for you, try things. If it doesn't work, just move on to something else. But, you know, there's always something or someone there to help. Yeah, excellent, Dr. Yvonne Taylor, Chief Inspector in the UK. I appreciate you spending the time to share this with us. And again, resilience is about perspective. We had roughly 30 minutes. We can't cover every topic. There might have been something that you wish we covered. Well, we couldn't with the time that we have. We try to give you information. Hopefully, we sparked some thoughts in for you as a listener to this. As always, we have resources on the webpage for this podcast to dig deeper and go in whatever directions you need to. But again, that's part of the resilience aspect. Learn more. Hopefully this sparked you to find out more. If you have good sleep already, God bless you. We're very happy for you, but I'm sure you know people that don't. So be one of their supporters. And that's truly how we make the change in that culture in policing. One that looks after each other. And ultimately, as I end this again, thank you so much, Dr. Taylor. And until next time for our listeners, Please be well, be safe, and thanks so much, everyone. Thanks, Jeff. As usual, it's always great to talk to you. This project was supported in whole or in part by Cooperative Agreement Number 2017-VI-BX-K001, awarded by the U.S. Department of Justice Office of Justice Programs. And as always, the opinions contained herein are those of the speakers and do not represent the official position or policies of the U.S. Department of Justice or the IACP. References to specific individuals, agencies, companies, products, or services should not be considered an endorsement by the speakers. Rather, the references are illustrations to supplement discussion of the issues. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You can visit learn.theiacp.org slash podcast to view show notes from today's episode and to find additional ways you can learn from leaders in the field.